0: This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156.
1: Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to get to a few thoughts I've had about Cruz and Cejudo and why the matchup itself, the fight, could be very interesting. We'll catch up with UFC 249 featherweight Calvin Cater as he prepares for Jeremy Stevens. Kane Velasquez has been released by the WWE. What does this mean? And we'll talk about the UFC's new giveaway to interact with Halle Berry and how all the hilarious ways that could go wrong. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 3 p.m. East Coast time, right here on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. It is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020, and Caesar is home. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Luke Thomas Show as always, best way to reach the show, because tomorrow is the TLTS Midweek Mailbag, Show at gmail.com. LukeThomasShow at gmail.com is the place to be. Of course, we are on Twitter, at MMA on SiriusXM, and we are on Instagram as well, SiriusXM Fight Nation. By the way, I really have to say something about that. The Instagram account was sort of a slow-going project. It's in full swing now, total full swing. You've got all of my stuff that goes up on there. You've got Akam Barak stuff. If you guys are into pro wrestling, obviously the boys from Busted Open get a lot of content pushed over there as well. It's a great Instagram account to follow, to keep up with the station, to get dynamic content. It is somewhat different from the Twitter account, so really encourage you guys to go check that out. SiriusXM Fight Nation. All right. We are here. We are back. And uh, happy Tuesday, everybody. I had my daughter's first birthday party yesterday. She had spaghetti, wore it all over her face. We gave her some cake. She spoke to her families in Virginia and then in the uh, country of Columbia. It was over Zoom. When I say speak, I mean mostly just yell gibberish. But you know, that's what kids do at one. And uh, it was great. She got to ride in her first tricycle. She has now become a tricycle Nazi. Very demanding. All of us are back there like Morgan Freeman and Driving Miss Daisy. Having to, we, we got the tricycle that's got a handle in the back where you can push it for them, you know? I mean, her feet can't reach the pedals, for crying out loud, so what are you going to do? But uh, it was great. I had a really great time, and, um, and uh, you know, very cool moment in my life, I suppose. All right, so let's get this going. I want to start the show today by talking about this fight between Cejudo and Cruz. Henry Cejudo, UFC bantamweight champion, defending his title against Dominic Cruz at UFC 249. And I'm looking at the odds now. They've got most places, Cejudo, right around minus 230 to Cruzes. Again, give or take, plus 190. I think some places have him as high as a plus 200. And they've got Cejudo as much of a favorite as minus 224. But again, you know, plus 190, minus 230, give or take. The more I think about this fight, the more I think it's really interesting. I said this on Morning Combat yesterday. You know, we had... Well, but sp- Aljamain Sterling, I think, had either come on the show or he had spoken out the fact that he wasn't going to take just any old fight during the pandemic. Now, partly because he just can't even train. Obviously, Long Island and New York have been hard hit by the coronavirus. So it really kind of impacted his ability to get outside, go get some training. But I guess if you had been offered a title fight, he says he may have taken it. He said that to- in response to a video Brendan Schaub and I had done. Okay, but I guess he didn't get offered that one. So that's out. Corey Sandhagen we had on the show. He didn't get offered anything. Peter Jan, I guess, is in Russia, so that's out. So granted, a bunch of your top contenders were not even really available or on the UFC's radar, it seems. And in the case of someone like Sandhagen, while I think his case for it, and certainly Sterling's case for a title shot, is so far beyond Cruz's, it barely deserves mention. You have to ask yourself, why would it be the case that the UFC would go there? Why would they go in that direction? And the answer is many, many things. But... One, if you're going to be on pay-per-view, having somebody who's also been on pay-per-view, who is familiar to audiences, who can probably raise the visibility of the card, that's going to be more desirable. Cruz gets you there further than a Sandhagen or a Sterling, at least for now. That by itself is not a reason to get a title shot, but it sort of explains, I think, to a degree, why they might have gone in that direction. Now, you can bring up the fact that they shouldn't be having a title fight, not a title fight, but I should say a pay-per-view fight, when twenty million Americans are out of work, separate conversation for a separate time. I'm merely saying if you're going to go down that road, and you need you need more dynamic faces that people know, Cruz is a little bit more of a help in that regard. Here's the other part about this: when people are breaking down this fight, they're doing it without really breaking down the fight. What I mean to say is they're like, well, what you know, Cruz came, and I've done this too. Cruz came back against Mizugaki and won. Came back against Dillshaw, close, but won. Sure, he hasn't fought in three and a half years, and he lost to Cody, and he's not even ranked. But, you know, you can't really count him out. That's not really breaking down the fight. That's more explaining the other part of the story, which is, one, he's got a little bit more of that star power appeal. Two, dude, it's a hell of an interesting story. Dominic Cruz is 35 years old. He's lost huge amounts of his time in his career, to injury to layoff to setback of a variety of sorts, and in the two most previous uh, situations where he had to come back, he did so successfully. It creates for a very interesting narrative to sell. Sandhagen and Sterling are the present, and to a degree, f- strong degree, both the future of that division, but they're not quite there yet. Cruz is a bit of the past, slash, you know, the, whatever he's got left, he's hanging on to in the present. Cruz, as I mentioned, 35 years old. If he doesn't win this, you have to imagine, given the youth that's surging in that division, that'll be his last chance at a title shot. Probably. Can't say that for sure, but probably. So no wonder he took it. Second of all, if he ends up winning, I mean, it's one of the most miraculous stories, not merely in MMA, but frankly, all of sports, to lose that much time and to consistently show that the layoff does not affect your ability to perform at a high level even as the injuries accumulate and even as the age of course accumulates reaching 35 years of age which is not exactly spring chicken territory for a lighter weight division in combat sports it would be truly one of the most miraculous things you've ever seen so I think a lot of people are using that as like a shorthand way to describe Cruz's chances interesting story but what does he really have is in terms of making that happen Probably not great. Plus Cejudo blowing the doors off Dillashaw down at 125, coming up and beating Moraes, who was you know, sort of the man at the time. But again, that's a that's a story to talk about the fight. That's not actually breaking it down. And I need to do more research. I need to think about this more. I need to see what the tale of the tape has to say for some of the more specifics. But I went back and I watched some fights today with Cruz and with Cejudo. Now, with Cruz, as I mentioned... God, man, you don't even know what to make of it anymore because the Cody Garbrandt that beat Cruz is unrecognizable to the one we've seen more recently. Now, he might get back on track, but he shined in a way that night that is, I mean, it was magnificent. Whatever you think about it in your memory isn't even as good as it is to go back and watch it again. And Cruz had his moments in that fight, but eventually got kind of overwhelmed. But I was thinking about Cruz, and you know how he, he has these... He sets these angle changes and he has these wide looping punches and he has these sort of fits and starts with his feet and then he backs up and then he changes angle again. You know, what would that do to someone like Cejudo? And remember, Cejudo only really has the one win at bantamweight. So now I'm beginning to think about less the stories of the fights and then the, what those stories tell about Cruz's chances and more about how they actually meet up. And again, there's more... I think, thought that has to go into this. But what I come away with here is, in some ways, I think Henry is going to be a terrible matchup for him. And in some ways, Henry is totally unproven as it relates to this weight class. Here's what I mean. Who is another dynamic fighter that eventually made his way to flyweight, fought a bantamweight, that Cruz was able to have his way with? And Have his way is a strong word, but But here's what I mean. It was Demetrius Johnson. But how was he able to do it? The striking there was relatively on par. It was Cruz finding his moments to land and then using his size to lean on Demetrius Johnson to take him down and then mix up the game, control him on the floor, use his wrestling. Cruz still has and seems to always have had absolutely impeccable timing on takedowns and that really made the difference in the end that was really what set them apart well dude Cejudo I'm not saying he can't get taken down but he's obviously got great takedown defense for the most part um remember he has a hard cut to flyweight so he's a bit of a bigger flyweight if not in frame certainly in in um you know density so he's a little bit bigger there and no one has really kind of put it on him in a way where Cruz was able to put it on Demetrius. And other people have taken down Demetrius as well. Brad Pickett, early in his career. Um, no one's really ever done that to Henry. Not not in that same kind of way. So you begin to ask yourself, Cejudo's got all the speed. He's got reflexes. We saw in the ability of the Morais fight to make adjustments over time. I mean, by the end of the second round, he was putting it on Morais. Well, Morais, however you say it. And he's got that wrestling pedigree and sort of proven ability where even if you can get him down to the floor, he's not going to spend a ton of time there. Uh, That to me changes things a little bit. You've got, got, if not exactly the speed of Demetrius Johnson, you've got the speed of someone like that mixed with the ability to be a little bit more physically dominant in some of those tie-up positions and control positions. And that negates a lot of what gave Cruz the advantage over Demetrius. Um, On par with that, or in addition to that, I mentioned the ability to make reads and adjustments. He's got good linear boxing. He's got the ability to, uh, he's got good defense. Not so much with the leg kicks, where I think that might be an interesting part to see how Cruz does that. But also, who's going to pursue and who's going to lead. So I think the leg kicks will be a key part because we've seen Demetrius Johnson rematch obviously the Marais fight, a lot of times Cejudo checking leg kicks has not been a big part of his repertoire. And I think using that to score and then exit is going to be a big key point, which also begins to tell me if that's the case, Cejudo might be the one who wants to corner. And that worked for Marais. I don't know if that will work against someone like Cruz, who's really good about exiting at an angle, about getting someone to uh, stop and then move off of them, even if they're coming forward. All this is to say, Cody did some pursuing of Dominic, but he also did a lot of waiting for him, right? Made it look a little bit in between at times too. I wonder if Cejudo will be willing to do that. Cejudo is kind of the guy that likes to take the fight to his rivals. He likes to take the fight to them. He likes to bring it to their doorstep. If that's the case, I think Cruz is going to be harder to beat. I think he's very good at absorbing pressure and getting out of the way, scoring and moving, constantly being in motion, not being a stationary target, hard to hit, not moving in straight lines, not coming at you even when he is backing up and taking a moment to stop and then intercept. He's very good at that kind of a thing. That's going to make, in that particular case, Cruz, assuming his game has not dropped off a cliff, an interesting matchup for Cejudo. I've also noticed that Cruz has these really wide punches that he comes with, even when he sets that southpaw angle at times. I think Cejudo's going to read that a million miles away. And remember, Garbret would get out of the way of them and then flurry behind them. You know, Cejudo's going to be able to do that. Here's the point I'm simply trying to make. Don't let the story about how miraculous this would be if Cruz won, given everything that's happened, or uh, as a... The story is fine to tell, and the story is fine to say, you know, history telling us what it is, this would be a very difficult thing for Cruz to pull uh, pull off, so therefore, I don't like his chances. I don't mean to discount that that's real, but that's not the same thing as really investigating the way the two actually match up. And who leads and who follows in that dance is critical to success, what weapons they might land, And understanding that is critical to understanding their success. The conditions under which Cruz tends to thrive are important with an opponent either both pursuing a backing up or, you know, to what extent they have speed and wrestling uh, abilities. I mean, Cody was able to get Cruz down, but he scrambled and vice versa. Both guys are able to scramble their way. And that forces Cruz to show you his hand in even as diverse as it is. It forces you to show it repeatedly. Negating the wrestling is key. It's key. It's like Frankie Edgar. Frankie Yeager's uh, striking I mean a very different style of course But his striking is really dynamic When he can mix in the wrestling When you take that away It becomes much more manageable That was a big lesson from the Cody fight If Cejudo can show that Up a weight class Even though he has a bigger flyweight Who had trouble cutting weight That'll be really interesting So there's a bunch of different factors To begin to weigh here We'll dig into it more As the days uh, lead into May 9th But as I begin to think of it Uh, Certainly, it's not to say that a Sanhagen versus Cruz or Sanhagen versus Cejudo fight wouldn't also be interesting. In its own right, it'd be phenomenal. But in thinking about the Cruz fight and in thinking about the Cejudo fight, a lot of people are allowing the narrative stories and the potential sports angle here to dictate Cruz's chances. I think that might be a bit of a mistake or at least a very imprecise way to think about the fight. And as you dig into the details, the fight gets pretty damn interesting. That's not to say that the the title shot is meritorious. It's just to say, I'm not telling you it's a terrible fight because it's not. This
2: week on World of Basketball, Australia's five-time Olympian and FIBA Hall of Famer, Andrew Gaze shares his thoughts on LaMelo Ball as an NBA prospect.
0: I think he's a phenomenal talent. He's good size. He's a a really, really good athlete. But in NBA, the standards, he's not an elite athlete. He can pass the ball. The thing that I think Impressed me the most is not necessarily everything I saw on the floor because his talent is really good, but he listens, he's respectful, and that he seems to buy into the team concepts.
2: New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app and Pandora.
1: All right, joining us now on the hotline is a top ranked UFC featherweight. This guy's been trying to fight since UFC 248. But I guess he's going to fight on May 9th when he takes on Jeremy Stevens at UFC 249. It is Calvin Cater. Hi, Calvin. How are you?
0: Oof, how you doing, brother? doing good, thanks.
1: Yeah, uh, let's talk about this for just a second. This is so, for folks who may not know, you were supposed to fight UFC 248, but yeah, he got injured, if memory serves. Yeah. Then it was going to be on April 18th, but of course, that whole thing fell apart, and now it's May 9th. Um, how are you not injured training for a fight that just won't seem to happen? <laughs>
0: Good question, man. Good question. know, uh, we, we we've trained accordingly uh, to each date that they had proposed, and uh, the the March date fell out kind of soon. But we, you know, we wanted to get to work early for a hopeful um, date following that, which turned out to be April 18th. And then uh, I think we all weren't prepared for that, but uh, we made the best of it, and here we are with May 9th ahead of us, and uh, and we're ready to go, man. Uh, but, you know, business as usual. Uh, Training doesn't stop and um, you know when whenever they set up that future date, which happened to be um, You know next Saturday, then we would be ready.
1: So let's talk about that from a programming standpoint I mean in totality It's been if you start from when you initially started training for UFC 248 to let's say fight week where obviously you're just you know Losing weight and moving around. How long is that training camp?
0: shit, I think it's been like 15, 16, go on 16 <laughs> or so weeks or something like that. Dude, game. that is but
1: nuts. That is nuts. Yeah, from
0: a programming standpoint, it's definitely, it's tough. But if you look at it from an uh, optimistic standpoint, it's like, hey, normally fight camps are about six to eight weeks and, and you got double that to prepare, you know, whether it's just the mental gains or whatnot. And this is a lifestyle to me. And, you know, if someone approaches you in the street and you got to defend yourself. It, it doesn't matter what training camp you had. So I kind of bring that mentality little bit of that dog in me every time i step in there and uh it's me versus him and and you know he's dealing with a lot of the similar circumstances that i am and um and and i'm gonna prove to you know handle it better
1: a uh, couple questions about the, the programming because I find this fascinating and I don't know how to program an MMA camp that's a bit above my pay grade but in even in things like strength training if you have a a, a 12-week block there's gonna be several yeah. weeks in that block where they call deload where you take the weight down on purpose when you guys yeah. got the news that he was injured or it's moving were there points in the camp where you're like okay w- to go forward we got to go a little bit backward we got to slow things down
0: yeah for sure 100 percent um you know trying to gauge that that peak time frame like you're talking about. And uh, I feel like we've done a great job listening to uh, listening to our body, uh, understanding where we are in the camp and uh, and understanding how far out we are to the, the new competition date third time now and uh, and just making the, the necessary adjustments and each time we've gotten further and further into you know the game plan and things that we want to do, and uh, and I feel I'm ready, more ready now than I would have been for the previous two
1: dates. Yeah, the famous the famous story is from Matt Serra when he was supposed to fight, fight GSP. The initial date fell out, and he had like a whole other six, seven weeks of sparring. And he credits that extra turn for when he was really able to, to just dial into what he was supposed to do. And of course, the results of that first fight spoke for themselves. Have you had these moments where... After the cancellation and you dial things back up again, you could feel the corner being turned on individual—I don't know—drills per se, but th- things you were working on.
0: Yeah, things we want to do, definitely. And uh, I wasn't aware of that, but yeah, 100—that's percent the case. I feel like uh, I feel like there's things that we were working on that I felt good about, but um, had they had we had competed uh, on the earlier dates, I might not have absorbed the information as well, or. Uh, you know, now have a great understanding, uh, definitely of what we're trying to do. And, um, and I'm, and I'm making those adjustments, um, regularly now.
1: Uh, let's talk about Jeremy Stevens, right? What kind of a challenge is he?
0: Uh, he's a tough kid. You know, he's obviously, um, uh, he's been in the game a long time, but really so have I, he's just fought maybe some stiffer competition as of late, especially, you know, he's fought a lot of, uh, previous champs and, um, Tough guy, brings power all the way throughout the fight, but, um, you know, I, I feel like this is my time and, uh, and Jeremy Stevens is just going to give me an opportunity to, um, you know, put another notch in my belt uh, with a reputable name and continue my climb to fight the guys that he's fought and, and make a name for myself in the sport.
1: You know, when a fighter has big power, like he does, it really gets the attention of media and fans. And then you'll talk to their yeah. opponents. And I guess this is maybe not the case with someone like Big Francis and Ganu, right? Where it's just blinding power at any moment. Um, but, you know, Jeremy's a big hitter. But when you talk to his opponents, they never seem phased by it. Why is there a disconnect between what the fans and media assume is, is really important consideration? And then the fighters who like, they take it seriously, but they don't take it... They don't ever seem to be phased by it in the way that everyone else does on the other side of the equation.
0: Yeah, maybe they don't expect to get hit by it, (laughs) or maybe (laughs) they feel confidently in themselves that, uh, you know, they carry some power too. And, uh, you know, I'm just aware of things, but I don't dwell on them. You know, it's like uh, you can focus on that stuff for sure, make a note of it. But I'd rather focus on the things that I do well and, uh, and the things that he's going to have to worry about, you know, and implement my game plan on him and not so much adjust to what he's planning on doing to me.
1: Who's the biggest hitter you faced to date?
0: Biggest hitter i faced? I'd say probably one of the tougher guys I've faced. Um, I don't think, like, it wasn't that I got hit with anything too substantial. But, uh, I mean, I would probably say Shane Burgos is probably one of the tougher fighters that I've gone against. And uh, it was a great back and forth fight. It was at home at the Garden. Maybe that added to, the, uh, you know, the novelty of it. But uh, we had a great back and forth fight. And you know, he's done what he's had to do. Everybody stepped in there with, um, aside from that night in Bus. So, you know, and so seven one, I believe, in the UFC. Tough kid. And uh, we'll probably run into each other sometime again down the line. And I look forward to competing against all these guys, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a great time to be a featherweight in the UFC. And um, and. May 9th, you know, we're gonna be the only show in town. So I'm excited to, you know, take another nausea with a guy like Jeremy Stevens Who's supposed to be on paper the heaviest hitter I've, I've faced to date and I'm excited with the opportunity
1: that last part of this you've never, so it sounds like you've faced people who were tough who hit hard, but you've never faced anyone who um, I mean, I've had fighters tell me they got hit so hard. They could feel it in the arches of their feet You've never you've never had that.
0: <laughs> who said that
1: Bernard Hopkins Bernard Hopkins. Yeah, yeah,
0: he's, been in a lot. he's been in a lot of fights, man, he'll tell you. Uh, you know, I, I try not to get hit with those damn shots. I've been hit with some good shots, man. I, I've almost, uh, uh, like, uh, I, I've caught my balance. I've been hit with some good shots, uh, and I was able to regain balance, things like that. And uh, it's just in there. Uh, you got to really slow things down. And, uh, you know, sometimes shit like that happens, I guess, and it's how you spawn. i MMA, man, those four-ounce gloves. So, I'd imagine you get hit with a shot good enough, you might not even feel the damn thing. They might just be waking you <laughs> up after. But uh, fortunately, I haven't been hit with one of those yet. And uh, I plan on be putting those shots on uh, the guys in face around and get hit by I, mean, I do everything in my power to, to make a miss and make them pay.
1: Um, where would you say you are in your journey, right? Everyone sort of imagines themselves in various stages of an eventual goal um you're coming off that loss to Zabit which I want to talk about in a minute because that was a really frustrating fight to watch yeah but for yeah. but for but for looking ahead purposes and sort of where you're where you measure yourself at um where where are you
0: I feel like uh I'm I'm close to the top of that mountain and um uh, and I'm not I'm not looking down I'm just you know I'm looking up uh, I'm seeing the guys that that are right here in front of me it's um uh, you know, it's getting it's getting smaller and smaller. I'm getting closer and closer to the top, and um, uh, I feel like that's where the most challenges are in this division too. Or uh, you know, at the tip of the mountain. But uh, I feel like I belong at the top. You know, with the best of the best, and uh, I'm working hard every day to make that a reality. And you know, at some level, you got to expect those things. You expect these fights because you don't work so this hard to to not have them in your foreseeable future. You know, I work hard every day to. Line these fights up, and uh, and I'm getting the opportunity. So for me, that's all I can ask for is to go out and and, and earn me an opportunity to compete against the get the best guys, and uh, and and just earn my spot at the
1: top. All right, let's talk about that fight with Zabit for just a second because watching it, it was very clear that he's he's good. He's not, he's not a bad fighter at all. Yep. But if that fight had been five rounds, <laughs> You know, that could have been a very different scenario, and it was supposed to be Shit, five maybe, rounds.
0: Maybe maybe four rounds.
1: Yeah, maybe four rounds. But you guys were going to have a fifth-round fight, and then you moved it. I know fighters are so tough where they're like, oh, it doesn't matter the circumstance. You know, I'll shine no matter what. But you know what? To an extent, when you're fighting another elite guy like that, context actually does matter. Do you kind of regret not—do you regret moving it A to Russia and then B a three-round fight when there could have been other options potentially?
0: No, I think I could have beat him under both circumstances. Um, But it it is true what you say. I mean, Some people squabble over the weight, this, that. And there's a reason why they make a big uh, fuss about certain things. But for me, uh, you know, I I felt like I just should have been a little bit – I feel like, you know, arguably maybe I get a takedown in that first round. First round's mine. Third round's mine. Maybe I win the fight. Or, like you said, maybe it goes a little longer. I just should have got a little bit busier earlier. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, flash in the earlier rounds with him. But, I mean – I felt the more aggravating part and frustrating part about the whole thing was I felt fine after the fight and I was ready to go again, you know? Hmm. Uh, it was really not much damage. Uh, after the fight, it looked like he had got done running a marathon or something during his, uh, you know, during his post-fight speech, but, I mean, that's not complaining. He, he, he obviously got the job done uh, by the skin of his teeth. I think I ran out of time, and uh, I look forward to, to starting that clock over again next time we step foot in there uh, with each other and uh, i think the outcome will be a lot different
1: you think he gives max or um or uh, alex a hard time
0: i gotta see him in the fourth fifth rounds um you know to, to to even understand for for where he's at i mean he's definitely he's a talented tough kid um he throws a lot of different things at you, makes you think but um you know those guys do the same thing but also bring the fight you know and and uh It'd be an interesting matchup, I man. Styles make fights, and and we'd have to see. But um, I I look forward to my opportunity with with him more than his opportunity with
1: them. <laughs> what what did you learn about him that uh, let's say by the end of the, well middle of the third round? Like what did what did you pick up on about what he does? Where you are like, ooh, I got him now.
0: Uh, I just uh, I just just realized that we were down to one round, and I had to go out and get it. So I just started, you know pressing forward pressing forward and i just wish i had done that earlier in the fight is really it Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so you feel like if you just gotten in his face like henry cejudo a
0: little bit of kyle bachniak in that fight yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know a little bit of that little crash
1: going on yeah i
0: think uh i think would have served me some uh served me well in the first round or two but then again man you know like i said if i hit the takedown that first round arguably i think it was that close that i could have possibly won it depending on when i got it and uh and that would have changed the outcome of the whole fight as well, you know. So it was right there. I just, you know, I got to do a little bit more earlier with uh, with a guy like that throwing the flash and stuff. And you got to get busy, man. In MMA, there's only three five minute rounds. It's important to to go out and get you know get that first round, um, and then and then just having to win at least one of the next two. But you got to go out and, 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 and you know, we have a short time to get our work done. So we got to go out and and. and you know, get it done early.
1: Do you feel like MMA fighters, even the elite ones, are they as good at pursuing as they are at backing up?
0: It all depends on who you're fighting. Uh, you know, I think a guy like Jeremy is a pressure fighter. I think uh you know Burgos is a pressure fighter. Um, you know, these guys that, that are good moving forward, you know, sometimes you gotta back them up and uh, and, and see how they respond, you know?
1: So it's and you
0: know, usually a lot of times they're in the gym backing people up. They're used to that. And they're big punchers. A lot of people don't want to face that, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, sometimes you got to face that fire uh, to put it out. You know You got to smother that fire, smother the flame and, and put it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, who knows when this is going to happen? But who do you like in the Max and Alex rematch?
0: It'd be interesting to see how Max adjusts, man. Max has just been slapping around everybody, man. So he didn't really have to adjust. But in that fight, it was kind of the same, uh, you know, same story each round. And uh, and Alex didn't have to uh, didn't even didn't have to do much, you know. Uh, you know, he just he just stuck with the game plan that was working for him, and uh, and and Max didn't Max didn't make him have to adjust in any way. So hopefully, you know, in the in the second bout, we we see a little bit a uh, little bit of diversity in the fight. Maybe it goes somewhere else. Maybe hits the ground. Maybe maybe Max, you know, starts checking those kicks this time around. Um, you know, I know my, my loss at Mycano, um, he was starting to throw in some leg kicks, and I just didn't adjust well, you know, in the fight. But I feel like now I'm uh, I'm a whole other fighter with that. And um, so, you know, you put me in there with him again. I feel like that, that outcome's a little different as well. So we'll see how Max responds to the last one. Uh, I'm sure he'll be ready to check some kicks, and I'm sure that will evolve into a new uh, pivot point for the fight, you know?
1: All right, let's talk about some of the fights on this card very, very quickly. A co-made event, Cruz hasn't fought in three and a half years. Fighting Henry Cejudo. Who the hell wins that one?
0: Yeah, I took a three and a, I took a three year layoff as well, man. It's kinda of crazy getting back in there, but uh his level, you know, shouldn't be uh I, I, I think mental rust is more of like a, a thing. It's in your head and I think he can handle that. But Cruz I, I'm pretty sure Cruz is um sorry, but I think Cruz is a teammate of uh of Steven, so yeah. you know fuck the other side <laughs> i can't go with him, man all right I, I like him but but not in this one
1: fair enough and then uh the main event right uh, Gagey and old ferguson what do you think about that one
0: man gauge is a cool dude i like him a lot uh ferguson another one um that's that's just a war man that like, you flip a coin i don't know i don't know man that that's a badass fight i'm a fan of that one i can't wait to see it um uh, i i Hopefully, um, I, hopefully, I'm done all my press shit in the back. Afterwards, I have a chance to sit down in the green room and watch that because I can't wait.
1: Uh, last but not least, how many Tampa Bay shirts have you purchased? <laughs>
0: <laughs> not 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 one man, and I won't Ugh. Uh, unless it has Brady or Gronk's name on it, and and, and that kind of sucks to say in here, but it is what it is, man. Uh, I just hope they stay away from the rest of the Patriots and don't pull any more down there.
1: What did you oh, last thing? On this, what did you make of the draft? You had Belichick by himself with his dog just out there pulling people. It's like obviously, you know, he's got a record of success, but you lost two names. Well, Gronk was gone, then came back, whatever. But I yeah. don't know. It's a weird time for the Patriots fan base, huh?
0: a weird time for not only everybody in the world but especially the patriots fan base i feel like we're being attacked you
1: know? <laughs> oh yeah dude there's no sympathy for you guys out there none
0: yeah none man but you know what we always say man in bill we trust
1: all right i guess we're gonna have to see what happens if there's even a season this year uh i know there's gonna be ufc 249 i know that may 9th jacksonville florida uh calvin i hope you're doing well i'm just it sounds like you are i know it's been a long camp but i appreciate your time and looking forward to see what you got in store
0: luke thank you man good
3: talking bro the biggest names in the fight game are on the akim barack show matchroom sports managing director
0: anyway. this is a global pandemic that is taking hundreds of thousands of lives globally and i feel as much as we love sport, as much as we need live events for our business, we have to wait our turn.
3: But what we can do is make sure that when that turn comes, we're ready. The Akim Barak Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156.
1: I want to get to this news. I found this fascinating, all right? So, listen to this. This comes to us from, well, I'm finding it from MMA Fighting. Here's the headline. Report. Former UFC champ Cain Velasquez released by WWE. Whoa! All right, here is what they say: Cain Velasquez is no longer a member of the WWE roster, according to longtime pro wrestling reporter Dave Meltzer. Shouts to him from the Wrestling Observer Radio. Velasquez was released by WWE as part of the company's budget cuts due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. The former UFC heavyweight champion made his debut in October and was signed to a giant deal says Meltzer. Velasquez, who's 37, reportedly impressed fans around the world. Uh made a debut in August for the Triple A promotion, which ultimately led him to getting signed by WWE in a multi-year deal. During his brief time with the company, Velasquez was involved in a major on-screen storyline with Brock Lesnar, culminating in a worked match with Lesnar in Saudi Arabia last October, which I guess Lesnar won. Upon signing with the WWE, Velazquez announced his retirement from the UFC and exited the USADA testing pool. The uh, AKA trained heavyweight captured his first UFC world title when he defeated Lesnar via first-round TKO at UFC 121 in October 2010. Of course, blah, 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 blah. He had some injuries. and It says, There's no word on whether or not Velazquez would re-enter the USADA testing pool for a potential octagon return or if he plans on sticking around in the squared circle for a different promotion. This guy has had... Basically two careers First of all I know there might be some people taking glee in this Like oh you left MMA for WWE I, I would not be one of those people That does It doesn't change my life at all that he did that So for better or for worse So you know why would I cheer for that Also it's just a weird thing to be against Like the dude was happy Go be happy right um, But he, he basically had a tale of two careers it, It's so It's so bizarre So bizarre so, he had the career up until Brock Lesnar and then the career afterwards. And the career afterwards was still pretty good. Or at least I had some pretty good moments. But everything that built up to the Lesnar match uh, and then, you know, winning it. Everything, that all, I think, set some of the groundwork for everything that happened afterwards. What do I mean by that? Kane Velasquez, dude, there was hype about this dude. When he was fighting in bowdog fights, which was his second fight, I can uh, distinctly recall in 2006, Jeff Osborne and others were like, There's this guy. He is just, you know, uh, promoter's dream, Mexican heavyweight, but he was a Division one top level wrestler. And he is just a natural. All the guys over in San Jose say he is, you know, unending cardio. Like all this hype. And then you watched him compete, and you're like, God damn, he's good. Like, wow, he's really good. So then he goes over to the UFC and fights Brad Morris, beats him in two minutes and ten seconds. UFC 83. Then he debuts, then he faces Jake O'Brien. If you don't remember Jake O'Brien, he was widely considered to be the next big thing in heavyweight. He flamed out, but in part he flamed out because Velasquez beat him in two minutes. Then he fought Dennis Stoynich. Velasquez ran through him in a round and a half, got knocked out of the night there. And then he began to up the ante. He fought Chet Congo at UFC 99. He won a unanimous decision. It's the first time he went to a decision in his career. Then he fought Ben Rothwell, and that was one of those fights we you're like, dude, Rothwell, I think, was coming off of. Where was he heading into this fight? Because he had been in the IFL, yes, but he'd also been in Affliction. So heading into the Velasquez fight, he had lost to Orlovsky in the Affliction show, but that was a back-and-forth fight. That was peak Orlovsky or at least people consider to be pretty close to it. And then before that, he'd been on this amazing run where he had lost to Dan Christensen in 2005. He didn't lose again until 2008. In the meantime, he had beaten Rico Rodriguez, Christoph Sosinski, Travis Fulton, Roy Nelson, Devin Cole, Sosinski again, Dan Bobish. He was just doing really, really well, right? So he lost Orlovsky in a tough fight, whatever. Then he fights Kane Velasquez, and I think that was his UFC debut. Yes, it was. And you're like, dude, Big Ben Roth was going to fight Kane Velasquez. Wow, man. And Velasquez went to work on him. It was unbelievable. He never let him get off. That fight ended, what, in the second round, 58 seconds. It was an amazing performance from Velasquez. And the and vintage Velasquez, which is in your face, mixing up wrestling, pressing you backwards, takedowns, yes, of course, but scrambling if he needed to, strikes, heavy volume, just constant pressure, Wow, amazing. Then they ship him over to Australia. He fights Noguera and beat the bejesus out of him in 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Stopped him, knocked out of the night. And then he got the title shot at UFC 121 against Brock Lesnar. And I cannot explain to you how big this was. This was a huge, huge fight and it's something the UFC has lost out on. Look, they can go to Poland and get Polish people in the audience. They can go to Mexico and get, obviously, Mexicans in the audience. They can go to Canada and get Canadians in the audience. And so all different kinds of people like this. And, of course, Hispanic Americans, Chicano Americans, like UFC. They love UFC. I don't want mean to say that if Kane's not there, they don't like it. That's not what I'm suggesting. But people also have a preference for sameness and heroes of the kind of which they are fight sports is about your origin it is about your nationality people want to deny that but it's why in boxing mexican versus puerto rican rivalries carry so much weight dude that fight uh, which i believe was in anaheim i think it was either honda center or whatever with the pond at the time i, I don't remember, remember the name uh, back then but dude you had so many mexican americans in that audience and he Cain velazquez brought the house down. You thought to yourself, this dude is gonna wear this belt as long as he wants to, until he just gets 40 years old, because he went in there and beat the bejesus out of Brock Lesnar too. He had, I mean, did he even lose a round? I think I think Congo had maybe dropped him once, but like dropped him in like a flash knockdown, way where he kind of went to his knees and then immediately shot for a takedown. The kind where you're like, oh, that's interesting, but ultimately very little significance. He had just been tearing through everybody. But then in that fight, I believe he had either torn his rotator cuff, um, or his labrum, or both, in both shoulders. And I had just, at the time, what was this, 2010? In uh, 2009, of May 2009, I had had to get my labrum repaired. And I'm no Cain Velasquez, I'm not anything compared to Cain Velasquez, but I had had other friends who were athletes who had the exact same surgery. And we all kind of remarked, dude, it doesn't, you don't come back to that surgery very quickly. Even with aggressive rehab, even with really getting in there and getting after it, it does not happen automatically, no sir. So then he comes back in the Fox show and loses to Dos Santos. And I said, the second portion of his career, it's not that it's filled with nothing but misery, but it starts off with a loss. So he goes nine and one. He fought Bigfoot Silva, of course, smashed him in in UFC 146, and then had the rematch against Dos Santos, which he won, and he really disfigured Dos Santos in that one. Fought Bigfoot again, fought Dos Santos again, so he's just rotating the same opponent over and over again. But, okay, the Dos Santos fights in there, they might even be his crowning achievement. So while he's got two different chapters in his career, you can even make the case that his best wins are in that second chapter. But here's the problem. He fought twice in 2012, once or excuse me twice in 2013 he missed all of 2014 he comes back in 2015 in mexico city they finally got him there and he loses to Fabricio verdum via guillotine choke he comes back in 2016 he fights travis brown okay he looked good at ufc 200 and you thought all right we're gonna get back on track Then he misses all of 2017, he misses all of 2018, he comes back in 2019, and again, part of that was not just injuries in between, it was family time and other stuff, but there was a lot of injuries involved with knees and, you know, uh, central parts of your body in terms of joints, knees, elbows, that kind of a thing. Comes back against Big Francis, and you could say, well, stop too early, or it was just bad luck, but he loses in 26 seconds, then bounces, and goes to WWE. Look, I don't begrudge him going to WWE for one reason, first... If it's what he wanted to do, let him go do what he wants to do. Number two, he appeared to have some ability to do it. If not so much speaking on the mic, I guess the performance aspect of it. Go ask the guys that busted open. They'll know better than me. But there are people who watch pro wrestling were telling me he seemed to have a a potential future in there. Who the hell knew that a global pandemic was going to come and make people like him expensive and expendable? You can't live your life that way. You have to go and make these choices. It just reminds me, though, that once again, since the Brock Lesnar fight he had some ups it wasn't a strict it wasn't just this and then this in linear ways up and then down but it was up and then it was kind of undulating and then ultimately a decline you can see a clear difference if you were just mapping his ascent to where he ended up after that Brock Lesnar fight and maybe, maybe that was partly not just what happened in the fight in terms of the injuries but the way in which he was training at the time and the overtraining you could say and his body breaking down so now where does he go If he's still under contract with the UFC, even though he retired, if he unretires, does he still owe them fights? Does Kane go to Bellator? I mean, he could just run through people He went to Bellator. He could work with Scott Coker again. He does have one Strikeforce fight under his resume. I don't know. But what I know is I feel bad for a guy that's this talented, this good, uh, this naturally athletic and had so much promise and... This is not like a Sage Northcutt where you're like, oh, man, this guy could be something if he really develops. Cain Velasquez, within three, four fights, you were like, whoa. He And again, it's heavyweight, so it's not going to be like a 155, 170 scenario, but it's a little bit easier. But, you know, yes, he had development that he needed to have and growth, of course, but he was also just like ready-made, man, ready-made. He was perfect. He was perfect for MMA and... You thought, I'm telling you, 121, dude, you thought the world was this guy's oyster. You thought the Kane Velasquez era was upon us. And in some ways, it kind of was. But here we are in 2020, and his last real meaningful win was seven years ago, almost in October of 2013, when he beat Dos Santos for the second time. And he, and he, he put it on him. It's a phenomenal win. But, you know, I see these reports about Kane Velasquez. And I see current MMA fans are kind of like, who? I mean, they know who he is, but it's like, what's the big deal? Dude. <laughs> when he was on top of the world, you thought he was untouchable. It was such a big deal. And uh, I feel bad because it all just kind of, it just didn't go the way it was supposed to. Life, life is unpredictable and hard and, you know, it's not a bad record. It's 14-3. and three. But 14-3 with a lot of time off, a lot of injuries, and just not even close to the hype. And not hype only in the sense of like, oh, here's a bunch of hype and the guy never fulfilled it. He fulfilled a lot of it early. Like over, over delivered. I think that was the problem. He over delivered. Until he just couldn't deliver anymore.
2: Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling. friend of the show,
0: Cody Rhodes. I particularly told people living in fear is no way to live. And honestly, I just wanted the platform to
2: say that we're all in this together and that we're going to get through this. And please
0: enjoy the two hours of hopefully escape and distraction uh, we have
1: for you tonight. This is a very unique time for a wrestler.
2: Busted Open, Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern, on Sirius XM Fight Nation.
1: We're back. Luke Thomas Show. Hope you're doing well. All right, let's get to this one. You know, I'll give the UFC a lot of credit for one thing. Well, I mean, many things, but in this particular case, the one thing I'll give them credit for is their desire to... They're a, they're a pretty fan-friendly organization, right? I mean, they are always like... I remember when the UFC used to hold pressers. And they would be up for the fans, and the fans would get there and be like, Dana, can I have two tickets to tomorrow's show? And he'd be like, all right. And he'd just give two tickets. And they're constantly holding fan giveaways and fan contests and fan experiences. They got rid of the uh, Fan Expo, which people loved, but whatever. They got rid of it, for, I guess, for a cost-saving measure when uh, Endeavor took over. Do you, you, Cobb, did you ever go to one of those Fan Expos? Did you ever see the inside of that place out there in Vegas?
2: No, no, I've never been to one of those Expos. Man, they were I, what, by the time we started I started working with the channel, they were gone already. So
1: Marissa and I went. Now, one time they promised us a bunch of fighters that were going to be guests on the show. So we had a whole big booth, and then none of the fighters came through. So it was real awkward on that floor. But we saw John Gooden walk by, the commentator, and then um uh, who was the African American featherweight champ over in Bellator? Uh, Daniel Strauss. Daniel Strauss had come through as well, and uh there were some other ones too, but that was... <laughs> me and Marissa were like, so we're in this booth and uh, none of our guests are here. This is great. Uh, in any event, the hall looked really cool. Like, they did a really, really great job with it. I was very impressed by it, but anyway, they got rid of it. But they, all of it goes to show, Cobb, I think it's fair to say, they're a fan-friendly organization, right? All right, very good. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this. So UFC has announced the UFC, the ultimate UFC experience. We'll get a, uh, a contest, uh, a weekend of a lifetime for a lucky fan, cob and the guest that they're choosing. So if I won, I would not take you, but I could take somebody else. Not only will the winner get to enjoy an upcoming event in Las Vegas, whenever the hell that is, but they'll get to do it in the company of Academy Award-winning actress Halle Berry. All right, so what they're trying to do is Halle Berry has this MMA movie coming up called Bruised, and they're just trying to promote it through these various acts. Okay, UFC President Dana White and Academy Award-winning actress Halle Berry are teaming up to present the most exclusive UFC experience beyond your wildest dreams. The duo is offering one lucky winner the chance to pick any Las Vegas UFC pay-per-view event with all expenses paid that include a once-in-a-lifetime experiences. First of all, how is that going to go? you going to go sit in the Apex now? Is that it? When they open that up, whenever the hell that is? Like, it just doesn't even work anymore, but okay. The winner will be flown to Las Vegas on Spirit Air. <laughs> I'm making that part up. To be a special guest of the UFC and Halle Berry. Honestly, how many movies could Kelly name that Halle Berry was in? Ugh.
2: You know what? I don't know if this would be one of those weird ones, or maybe she saw a couple just randomly, like just by chance. Like
1: Catwoman or something? Yeah, crap
2: like that. Like She just happened to catch her in it. But I bet you, I'm going to say at least one. One for sure. I don't know if she can go above two.
1: Not counting bruised? Not counting bruised, yes, of course. That would just be too easy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The winner would be fun of Las Vegas with a guest, uh, with Halle Berry, blah, blah, blah. In addition to being part of the UFC official ceremonial weigh-ins and fight night, the weigh-ins will be the coolest part if you ask me. Right there, all the fighters up on stage. Their winner will be whisked away to a private dinner with Halle Berry and sit alongside her on fight night. In addition, they will receive private MMA training with UFC legends and a full range of personalized, exclusive gifts and signed merchandise. Bro, how awkward is that dinner going to be? How butt-awkward is that dinner going to be? First of all, I bet that's a tasting menu. They're just going to move through that one real... It's like, Hallie, why are you only eating coffee for dinner? That's, you know, that's my dinner. I have a glass of San Pellegrino and a shot of espresso, and I'm on my way. Number one. Number two, Cobb, you might be too young for this. Do you remember years ago? I must have been like 11 or 12 when MTV had this huge Metallica concert where he had to call in on this number, and you, like that was essentially like putting your vote in the hat, and they would randomly draw it. And this was for to promote the Black Album, or a little bit afterwards. And the winner had Metallica show up to their house and hang out with them for a day and play a private concert. Do you remember that? This sounds
2: slightly familiar, but I was a little too young at the time.
1: All right, so here's what ends up happening. They picked a guy who was pretty salt of the earth, and it was fine. He seemed like a nice guy, very working class. Nothing wrong with him, except Metallica... They put up a good effort, I'll give them credit, but they were out there like in their boots trying to play basketball with him at his local basketball court. And then the only part that was really cool was at the end they uh they played a private concert at his favorite dive bar. Now that is just beyond amazing, right? Super, super cool. But they kind of went to his house and they were like rifling through his shit and like low key making fun of him for all the dumb stuff that he had, you know? And it was like it's like, why do you have a tri school here? He's like, Oh, that's my favorite tri school when I was a kid. They're like you still have your school? You know what I mean? Like they were, it was supposed to be like funny and sarcastic, but it ended up being like, you could tell they hadn't been around somebody. They thought he was trife, is what I'm trying to say. They thought he was trifling his shit and they didn't know, they didn't know how to come out and say it.
2: Well, you know, it's funny that might've been back then. You're like, Oh, they're just being funny and sarcastic. Then years later, some kind of monster would come out and you could see what kind of assholes they
1: actually are. Yeah, to, <laughs> you know, to each oh, other and everyone around yeah.
2: him. Yeah, it's like, oh no, they were being very serious with this guy. They were disgusted by him.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they probably thought they had, they probably got, Lars was like, I, I know I don't have a lot of hair left, but check me for lice after being with one of these guys. You know, that's the kind of, that, 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 was, that was the vibe that I got. Like when they left, they washed their hands kind of a thing, you know, pre-coronavirus. At any event, I have a feeling this is going to be just like that. Look, I don't know Halle Berry, she seems like a nice lady, but she's been an A-lister or something close to it for, what, 30 years? I mean, something absurd, right? She, she's been the it girl since the early 90s, if not late 80s. You think she knows what it's like for some donk, you know, who is in his mid-20s or her mid-20s, whoever it might be, who's just living their life a very ordinary but fine life? You think that she has anything to say to people like this Other other than, other than clean my trailer and get me coffee?
2: Dude, I'm just picturing a dinner in my head with her and some like just over-the-top nerdy MMA fan. And all I see in my head is like uh, the Chris Farley show on Saturday Night Live. Like, m- m- remember when-, when you showed your boobs in Swordfish? Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. awesome. Like, that's all I see
1: in my head right now. Didn't Wasn't she briefly married to Braves player David Justice? I think you're right. I think that's right. But here's the other part about it. I think it's actually going to be the opposite problem. Because in that skit, you had Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. How many MMA fans know anything about Halle Berry? I mean, I make fun of Kelly for it, but do they really know a whole lot about her? Like, what movies has she been in more well, recently? Here's the thing.
2: Define whole lot, because I think the ones that are watching probably watched her a lot in the 90s and the
1: 2000s. Okay, they did see her in John Wick, and she was in Kingsman sure. as well. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm wrong about this. She was in X-Men. She was Storm yes. in X-Men. Yes. Okay, so I'm being a bit of a hater, but I'm going back to like Baps. Remember Baps? Uh and then she Such was in a movie. I know. And she was in Jungle Fever as well. Strictly Business last Boy Scout. I saw her in Last Boy Scout 1991, bro. 1991. She has been killing the game for a long time. All right, so I'm being a little bit weird. But they're definitely not going to be asking her about, you know, losing Isaiah or something from back in the day. The Flintstones. They're going to be asking about, remember when you were on set with Patrick Stewart? Could he really read your mind when the cameras aren't on? Uh, no, dog. He cannot.
2: <laughs> Dude, hey, honestly, if one, if there's some fan out there who wins this thing, here's what you have to ask her. Why are you such a frontrunner in MMA? You're kind of a curse so far. Because it was Brian Ortega. He gets knocked out. Then it's uh, Cyborg. She gets knocked out. Now it's Valentina, which, by the way, Halle Berry. Smart move. Respect. Valentina ain't
1: getting beat by anyone <laughs> in that division. It's not happening. Uh, she's probably gonna have these these people who win bump fight on the street. You know, they're gonna knock the fuck out just to keep the Cal Ripken streak of losing alive. Anyway, Dana went on uh, TMZ about this. Let me hear what he had to say.
3: For a, a fan to be able to win this package, it's literally the biggest package we've ever done. We're, they're going to sit in at a matchmaking meeting, and I'm actually going to let them make a fight. Um, you know, on stage at the weigh-ins, go to dinner with Halle Berry, sit with her at the fight, and hang out. She's one of the one of the sweetest, coolest people on earth, and she's a huge MMA fan, just like whoever's going to win this thing. So you can actually sit there and and talk fights with her too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dinner with Halle Berry. She actually knows what she's talking about when it comes to fights, (laughs) and you can talk fights with one of the hottest women to ever walk the face of the earth. And all the other shit that we're throwing in there too. What What is better than that? What happens? And on top of that, normally, we put these auctions on and it's always rich guys that that get it. Like, you know, they have to outbid some other rich guy to get the thing. These, you actually put in, you know, $10, $25. It gives you more uh, entries to win so anybody can actually win this thing it's like i think that's the first time we've ever had something like this with the
1: ufc i like how hallie berry is being remembered as one of the hottest women on earth also uh, i mean she is but it's like this is how we're discussing her right based on her looks but okay whatever fine it's fine i made a comment about carmen electra so i'm a hypocrite i'll say this uh (laughs) two things one when this show is not on the last thing i want to do is talk fights I hate talking fights when I'm not at work, and people always come up to me. and They're like, "So, what you think about the upcoming fight?" And I'll, I'll it'll be at the gym. I'll get spotted at the gym, Cobb. And they're nice people, dude. They're just trying. They're just trying to have fun with it because they don't have my job. I get it. But you got to understand when this show is not on, and I'm at the gym. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the next bantamweight contenders match. Let me be very clear about that. I don't give a fuck. Can you imagine Halle Berry being like, "Yo, Halle Berry, what's your favorite fight from?" Uh, IFL, You know, Tokyo uh, Sabres. Remember them, the Tokyo Sabres and the IFL? Which one was your favorite team member?
2: <laughs> Here's the thing. I honestly, I might be being too harsh on Holly. I don't really think she's a, just a giant hardcore fan they're making her out to be. Maybe she's gotten into it more now. She, for all I know, she might enjoy just talking fights with someone who knows about fights. Maybe she does. I just feel like the person talking to her is going to be super awkward. And it's going to make the whole dinner ridiculous. we haven't even gotten to the fight we haven't even gotten to the fight matchmaking yet that's gonna be a blast so here's this is
1: the other one it's like we're gonna let you make a fight um the fighters don't have a say (laughs) first of all like uh guys part of this contest you just have to take the fights by law you can't even say no just just whatever the fan says you have to do if i was that fan let me tell you something here's what i'd be i'd be like yo i want giant silva to fight i want you to to resign demetrius johnson that's what I want you to do. Resign Demetrius Johnson and have him fight Bull Bull, Manute Bull's son. So go sign Bull Bull and have him fight that. So I guess Dana explains that in the second clip. Let me hear this.
0: So let's say uh, somebody wins and they go into your matchmaking meeting and they say, Dana, I want to see Connor versus, I knew, I knew
3: you were versus
0: Khabib. It. I want to see Connor versus Nate Diaz. What do you do?
3: I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there's a process to the matchmaking, you know. What, what what happens is, there's four of us, right? Sean Shelby, um, Mick Maynard, Hunter Campbell, and me. So it's not this this uh, you know. I walk in and go, we're doing this now. Right. The other thing, it's a process. Right. We argue. We fight. This ain't gonna happen. We can't do this. We can't do that. We all, you know, it's, it's a long, drawn-out process that goes on. He'll be part of the bickering and the fighting and the arguing, and and, uh, and we'll see where he comes out in the end and what he gets.
1: Yeah, he's not gonna get shit. I mean, you know. it's uh, Look, I'm not saying it's not cool for a fan to be in the room there. That's a pretty cool thing. But, you know, there's a reason why they don't do this in the other leagues. Partly, they don't have the same fan outreach, I admit. But also because it's a calamitously bad idea. (laughs) Uh, Yo, Amanda Nunes should fight Cody Garbrandt. Book it. Dude, I would walk in there like Bill Burr describing, uh, not Bill Gates, but uh, Steve Jobs eating pretentious fruit, getting people to like invent shit for me. I'd be like, yo, new weight class hundred and fifty seven point seven pounds on the nugget we'll call it the fuck boy weight class (laughs) for the championship i want a man versus a woman book it
2: i want stallone versus van damme pay him dana that's what i want
1: here we go here's my idea time machine 1984 van damme versus seagal make it happen dana uncle dana uh, I, I do believe
2: I won the contest, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> so make my dreams come true here.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is like my make-a-wish. So get to stepping, D-dubs.
0: Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius
2: XM.